0: Welcome to EHS On Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, about workplace security. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, and we're going to talk security. Welcome to the show, Hector.
1: Thanks, Jay. Uh, Thanks for having us. Me. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) The Royal Week. The Royal Um, Week, exactly. And we're actually here in person in Cleveland at the uh, EHS Daily Advisor Exchange. Um, So welcome to that. You're going to be speaking at that. Um, I was wondering if you could just sort of, for the podcast audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So one, it's really cool here in Cleveland. It's my first time. And if you haven't had a chance to make it out here, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it is. You know, the the 30-second overview of who and what I am, um, I've been in security and law enforcement for about 30 years. So everything from the military to law enforcement as a reserve. But my real time is in corporate security, starting out at Dell Computers early on and wrapping up my professional career at a company called the California ISO, which oversees the power grid for the state of California. And what was interesting about that, I had access to all the gates, guards, and guns that somebody could possibly want. Resources were not an issue. But we still started seeing and noticing that people, the the insider aspect and our relations with each other, was really a driving component behind security, and that's really what kind of drove me to to start exploring this this whole concept of preventing violence in the workplace.
0: Great. Well, let's jump right into my first question. Um, you know, what do you look for? Uh, you know, when it comes to preventing workplace violence.
1: You know, and that's such an interesting question because I get called all the time for two things. One, after there's been an incident of violence, or when an organization is trying to decide, you know, what should we be doing. And one of the first things that I look for when I get there, surprisingly, is not the gates, guards, and guns. It's the culture. It's the attitude that not only the employees have, but even senior management. Um, In eight years of being a professional consultant, I've trained lots of groups. This past week was only the second time I had the full executive team participate in a training class. Um, I will often hear things like, we fully support the effort, and then not see the follow through and so that's one area that we really focus on what exactly is the culture that exists at whatever type of organization it is from mom and pop to you know a company with 10,000 employees what what exists and then that's the starting point for improving security
0: So getting that kind of leadership buy in really helps to you know tells you that they're serious about it
1: Absolutely because we could spend money on programs and if they're not followed if they're not supported then they're not going to be maintained and that's something we see a lot are good ideas that are never followed up on.
0: Um, and, and How long does it take to kind of, you know, I guess it depends on the place, right? You know, what the state of their security is, but typically when you're going into a business, you know, what do you kind of do when you, when you go in? Obviously after you kind of take a measure of the culture, yeah. you know, what are your sort of first steps there?
1: So our next step after trying to assess that is we really try to understand what is it that trying to protect? Is it the equipment? Is it the process? Is the product? For me, very often, it's, it's the people, and that's a common answer. And then you can take a look at, well, how exactly are we doing that? Is it procedures? Um, or is it guidelines? Um, is it a standard that's written and placed on a shelf that's never utilized? So we start looking at how people interact with other people and the different styles and the different approaches. And that's really the first start. So we, we use the, the OSHA definition of the four categories of workplace violence and we will look at where are the risks, where the exposures and what is being done to mitigate any of those exposures.
0: So obviously, you know, the last 20 years, we've seen a lot of changes in security as a country. You know, 9-11 changed a lot of things for everybody, uh, just in terms of, you know, looking at potential threats and that kind of stuff. You know, how has workplace security changed? Um, that
1: time? You know, you sent that, that question, and it, and it got me thinking. I was really trying to understand. You know, I've been in it for more than 20 years. And, you know, what changes have I seen? Uh, definitely I've seen a change in technology. But what's interesting is probably, if I had to guess, just anecdotally, half the people that employ some type of new technology end up not knowing how to use it or don't use it properly. We saw a big wave, as an example, during COVID of thermal sensing cameras. Right. And I went to several sites that had deployed these and dramatically different ways of using them. Uh, Same thing with access control systems, same things with with access cards. Um, So technology has come a long way, but I'm not sure the understanding of using the technology has kept pace with that. So that's probably the biggest change. There's there's a technological solution for almost every problem now, but the gap is still pretty wide in in what we need to do to address it.
0: So what would you advise to a company that's getting one of these solutions kind of, you know, as they're as they're looking at different solutions and you know how they choose them?
1: Understand your problem. A lot of times I will get called in as a consultant to help people use the solution that they bought because they didn't completely understand the problem that they had. And so very often we'll see people buying a solution and then looking for a problem. So I think the reverse really needs to happen. You really need to understand what your exposure What's the appetite internally to address it? And then I think you can find a solution that fits that problem, but far too often it's the other way around.
0: What's the best way, I guess, of understanding the problem too? Is it, you know, I imagine you, you, know, you don't want somebody just sort of, you know, security director or whoever, just saying, oh, I know what it is. You want them to talk to people, right?
1: Yeah, I'm very leery of committees, but I do like input. And so I think it's very important to understand that If we start from the people who are doing the work, whatever the exposure is, to the people who manage that work, and then the people who support it, so all three tiers, I think there has to be some alignment. Um, Far too often, I will walk around and I'm guided during an assessment. I'll pause to talk to somebody who's on the front line and they have a dramatically different interpretation of why something's happening or what's supposed to occur. And so it's that connection. It's really how you collect the information on the problem. Because again, it sounds repetitive, but if you don't understand the problem, your solution's not gonna fix it.
0: Um, So how should an employer do a threat assessment?
1: Yeah, so I think they should start by making sure you understand what a threat assessment is, what a risk assessment is, what mitigation is, what vulnerability is, because these terms are often confused and conflated. And we will get called, and they will not understand what they want, and so we have to guide people through that you have to start with understanding what you're trying to protect. Then you have to do the threat assessment, which is who's trying to take something away from you? Or is it, how long can something survive? That's, that's all gotta tie together. The good thing is there's a lot of work out there that exists. So you don't have to start over. Uh, GTS is a great way to start. Just Google that stuff <laughs> and find out what a vulnerability assessment is, what risk is. And so you understand as an organization, when it's all said and done, you're trying to understand your risk tolerance. And that's going to be the output of all this other work, and that comes down to, what can I accept, what can I live, what can I not live without? If I can't live without this person or this process, then that becomes a focus, and so that's a big start. It's a discussion that I hope is very lengthy. And if somebody is coming to you with a canned solution, I'd be very leery of that.
0: Yeah, speaking of threats, um, you know, a huge one that's been in the news lately is uh, ransomware, cybersecurity threats. Um, you know what are you advising um, you know your clients about you know about this obviously every week we hear about a major corporation that's getting hit with some you know massive attack like that
1: yeah, so my, my expertise tends to be on the physical corporate right. security side however it's so blended now between physical and cybersecurity that that is coming up and I have had some very confidential uh, very intimate conversations with senior executives who've fallen victim to you know, whether it's it's ransomware, whether they're they're being extorted because of stuff they did or did not put online, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I think is extremely important is the marriage of physical and cybersecurity practitioners in the workplace. My advice um, is we have to stay current. Unlike other disciplines with respect to cybersecurity, these people never stop updating. It's a constant update what's going on. and. You, you can't use the systems that you used last year for this year's programs. And I think right. that's what's exhausting is the need to constantly update. Right. And I think that's why it's so important for the bosses to know what the practitioners are doing. Because it sounds like they're always asking for stuff. They're not. It's just always changing. It's hard right. to keep up. So staying current. I think it's probably my biggest single bit of advice with respect to ransomware.
0: And just don't click on things you don't know. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what, half of these things are literally like somebody just clicked on some weird link that they shouldn't
1: have. And what's interesting is how much time they, and I'm doing air quotes, you just can't see it, they spend on social engineering so that you will click on it. You know, my right. wife fell victim to it the other day, other day, other week when we had some packages coming and, and she got an email that said, Hey, your package has been diverted. Click here, you know, to update. So she's following it. And then as soon as she finished clicking, she said, you know what? I think I just got got." And you look at it and, and then when you really pay attention to the header and footer, it's crystal clear that it wasn't coming from a legit vendor, a legit, a legit source. Yeah. Don't click on stuff. Don't pick up things in the parking lot and stick it to your computer. Um, you yeah. just if you wonder whether or not it's legitimate, it's probably not.
0: Yeah. Um, so new employees, um, how should you do background checks for them?
1: Yeah, it's another good question. Uh, doing background checks. It varies dramatically across the state, uh, the United States, because we're starting to see this big progression towards banning the box. and it's where background checks cannot be completed until after an offer of employment is made. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's also started to become more and more relevant is where I'm starting, at least anecdotally, to notice that not as many people are updating their records so that I would do a search and then something relevant came in. Um, I think it needs to complement a, a, ref, a reference check. So depending on your state, if you can do a pre-hire background check, I, I encourage you to do it. Um, if it's post-employment offer, I still encourage you to do it. There's been too many times that I've been involved where an incident occurred and the person's background displayed behavior that is exactly what they had been arrested for or convicted for previously. So I think it's important to understand your state laws. Can I do it before hire or after hire? And then just go with a commercial uh, vendor for providing that background screen. Somebody needs to filter through and you really need to understand what your state laws are. Some allow you to check felonies further back some only seven years, as, as an example, out in California. But I would consider a background screen a necessary process, but just one small check.
0: Um, and I guess then also, you know, you're checking references. So you kind of have to take that into consideration, just, you know, from, you know, even though those are references, I assume that they're, you know, pulled by people that will give yeah. them a good reference, but still, you know. there's there's other information
1: that you you bring into it, right? Yeah, Jay, and also we're in a very weird time because people are struggling to get employees. And I've heard from some individuals, some hiring managers, that they'll just take whoever. And there are consequences with that. And it depends, obviously, what level of job you're getting and what they're going to be doing. Is it a trusted job? Are they going to be, you know, are they going to be, I just came from a casino a couple weeks ago, and there was several million dollars of money inside the count room. It's gonna be really important that we understand if that person has any financial exposures that would make them more likely to do something. So it is pretty job relevant. If they're gonna be dealing with children, do we wanna run through certain background screens? Absolutely, including talking to other people. And it depends. Some organizations will only share, yes, they worked with us from this time till that time, and that's how much they made. Some states do allow you to ask questions such as, would you rehire this person? Others, it's very tenuous. Make the effort, because if you don't, and there's a problem, your exposure is much higher because the courts do look at as one of those checked boxes.
0: Um, So obviously, you can't have any discussion about the workplace these days without talking about COVID-19. How does COVID-19 change how you know security procedures should be handled in the workplace? You know,
1: we've seen a big shift in security. Where a lot of practitioners were focused on access control, switched to COVID control, and I now have security officers with thermometers in their hands and you know chasing down thermal scanning cameras when somebody went through. It's a been a big shift. So the workload internally has changed, but also the attitude of our employees has changed. And you know we were talking about this right before we started. There is a massive divide in this country. And either you're with me or you're against me. You're a vaxxer or you're an anti-vaxxer. You believe in mask or you don't believe in mask. And I think that's the problem that we're experiencing. I have a concern. Because we started to, because we did open back up and we relaxed the the mask mandates, a lot of people that I've talked to have gotten comfortable. But their reluctance to have to possibly wear masks mask again or to possibly have a, a, a vaccine mandate Their level of frustration, anxiety and frustration over that, is at an all-time high. I've had multiple employees assaulted because they've asked somebody to to wear their mask or to correctly wear their mask. Um, I think organizations need to take a deep dive internally about what their approach is going to be and whatever they decide, then how they're going to convey that message to a a group of people that aren't going to agree with them. And I think a lot of time and energy is going to need to be spent on that. I've talked to employees who've said, just looking in the eye and said, Hector, I didn't realize how much of an introvert I was until I didn't have to be around people. And I'm not going back to the office. I'm, I'm not going back to the office. Um, that's somebody who's really set in their ways. HR, learning and development, uh, legal. I think everybody needs to get together and have a conversation about how we're going to treat our employees when they come
0: back. Well, actually that leads me to my next question, which is, um you know obviously you've got all these people working remotely now how does that impact your job in terms or security job you know where you've got people in different locations like is that a concern that, that employers are bringing up to you in terms of how to control you know employee access to things or you know how does, how does that work?
1: It is uh, in a, on a, cu- a couple different levels you know from an HR perspective when they have hourly employees they had to figure out a way to make sure that an employee wasn't working outside those normal work hours. But from an employee perspective, I'm in my house. I, I, if I want to spend time with my kids and then do the time afterwards. So that created some challenges. And then we've had some legitimate issues with people having multiple full-time jobs, right. working on other pieces. So there are some companies that have taken a technology solution to tracking. Not only that you have activity, you know, moving the mouse, but tracking your online activities. And, and we've had employees that have been let go because they were doing something that was not tied to the workplace. In addition to that, there is a serious concern about our employees' mental health, our, our friends, our coworkers, our family members' mental health throughout this pandemic, and our ability to supervise employees remotely is challenging. So we've had discussions about that and make sure your cameras are turned on when you're having your staff meetings remotely. Uh, try and do it at a set time. Try and request that they, they are focused on work during that time so we keep that connection that we would normally have in the workplace um, and be prepared for some problems. We've, we've had that. There's been some real tragic stories of people hurting themselves or doing things while they're off on their own. And so we have to extend the, the attitude and the belief that it's a supervisor and manager's job to supervise their employees in the office to even when they're remote. Yeah. There still has to be that connection. And so we look at things. How does there, is there room clean? Is there work product still up to speed? If you see a decline, then, then that's another concern. That's another, red, you know, red flag that there may be something going on.
0: Um, and, I mean, obviously, it, you know, it's late August now. Uh, and, you know, what we thought was going to be a big return to work this fall seems to be slowing down, obviously, because of the Delta variant. Um, you know, what are you seeing out there? in terms of what companies are doing? Are they kind of you know, holding back and keeping people remote or some people trying to, to you know, reopen partially? Or?
1: So, anecdotally, but if I had to guess, at least 75% of the companies that I work with have modified their return to work programs and are now leaning towards the first of the year. Yeah. Other than those ones that are providing, that we're providing, you know, direct customer service, my retailers, the grocery stores, but those employees are exhausted. Um, you know, I follow a group on Facebook and it started out because one employee, some retail worker, she was assaulted and she shared her story and it grew into this big Facebook uh, you know, following. And I read the stories of what these employees are going through, numerous stories of employees going on their break out of their car and crying, yeah. um, of walking off the job because people are so incivil, rude, um, just nasty sometimes to other people. And so it's taking care of the employees that have been through this all along, who aren't ready to have to tell somebody else again they have to wear a mask, um, or to step back, to being prepared for um, what it may mean to to somebody who now has to look for daycare where they didn't have to before. They get a little bit of relief for three months, but it's coming. I mean, at some point, we're gonna start making our way back into the workplace. And so if anything, I think employers should take this as an opportunity to reset, to revisit the reluctance that some employees had um, to, to coming back to workplace so they can get a fresh restart when we hit the fall.
0: Um, you know, and speaking of that incivility, what do you tell people, you know, companies that have people working in these public facing positions where, you know, they're dealing with increasingly angry <laughs> customers and public members who either don't, le- don't want to wear a mask, like you said, or, you know, just f- for whatever reason are aggressive um, you know what? How are you sort of coaching these, you know, these companies on how to how to deal with this stuff?
1: Yeah, it's multi-part, but I think it's important to understand that frustration is one of the underlying currents. It's a it, it's a currency of aggression and violence, and I think it's important for employees to understand where that frustration comes from. A little bit of empathy can go a long way. Um, it's exhausting when you see customer after customer. So so one is empathy, two is staying professional. And we have seen interactions and I've talked to employees who just literally told me, I couldn't take it anymore. So I finally said what I wanted to say all along to those people. Well, if we have energy, negative energy going into the interaction, it's gonna increase. So not taking it personally. Third probably biggest piece of advice is be willing to walk away. And whether that's taking a step back or not engaging the person in that confrontation. But if you stay engaged, you should not expect it to de-escalate. We can take a step back, be professional, and try to have that empathy of where it's coming from. Those three basic things are are some of those guidelines that can bring it down, but it's watching for somebody that comes in that is just done. I had an employee who worked at an insurance agency, a manager, man walked in, his mask was not completely on, and she gave that universal hand sign of, you know please pull it up. Without saying a word, this man covered the ground from the front door to where she was standing and punched her in the nose. Jeez. Ripped his mask off and then stormed out. She saw the frustration set in his eyes the second she said it. She didn't say it rudely. I, didn't, I saw the video. I didn't hear the audio. Um, but just her mannerisms were pretty basic. And she was just floored at how quickly he covered the ground. I think it's recognizing when we have people that are also really struggling so that we can be in tune to the warning signs and then make some adjustments. She wishes she had gone behind the counter. She wishes she had stepped into another room or she wishes she had just asked this man to stop, but she was really caught off guard by how quickly it happened. So in addition to the trying to to avoid the escalation, it's having a de-escalation strategy in case something happens that's tied to it as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like you know, and there's always been, you know, people, you know, going off, you know, off the handle for whatever reason. I mean, that's not a thing new to humanity, but it just seems like everybody is so much quicker to it now.
1: Yeah, this, this year and a half, you know, 18 months that we've been apart uh, has really changed the society in quite a way. My daughter was home from college the other day, and she ordered DoorDash, door right? Mm-hmm. Doorbell came, uh, they rang. And I got up to go get the food because there was another human being who would brought me some food and my daughter said very innocently, no, no, just wait a second and they will be gone. We've gotten so used to not having to interact with each other. I think we've forgotten basic courtesies such as saying thank you and hello. I go out of my way now with servers to be extra nice. I'm just glad they showed up. I, I think at a very human level, we're gonna have to start being more decent to each other for this to turn around because the opposite is happening right now. Levels of incivility are off the charts. You know, there's a a mental health condition that happens to some people when we just don't get out enough. There's not enough sunlight, not enough vitamin D, and it, it truly affects people. There's people that have been locked up for 18 months and haven't been around each other. And we have to practice that. I think it's important that organizations take that into account and, and we compensate for that. We, we, we greet people at the door. We look up and right. acknowledge them when they walk into the door. We understand the source of frustration to help address them. We cannot control how they react. So I think it's going to be incumbent on us, as people who are running our businesses, to fill that gap. Or it's not going to change.
0: Yeah. Um, is there, have you noticed uh, a difference now that you know, the cell phone is so omnipresent and everything gets videoed and thrown up on the web uh, immediately just for these kind of you know confrontations in stores and in businesses. Um, has that changed how people react to things or is it just sort of a, a technological byproduct?
1: No, I, I think to answer your question bluntly, I think it's dramatically changed the way we interact. I've seen you know, the bystander effect to people reporting incidents has always been something that's been considered. Now that people have cell phones, um, it's almost like maybe they feel like they're involved, but they're not helping. They're not solving, and, and sometimes they may be the fuel, right? That, it, that, it makes, starts, that it starts it. it yeah, of course, that, It amps it up, anyways, yeah. right? And and we've seen, we've all seen these competing videos of I'm going to record you, you're going to record me, right. and I'm not sure to what end. Um, First Amendment audits are something that some types of you know cities and counties and police officers will see. We're seeing that expanding to customer service and, you know, professional boxing. Um, it's so hard to not take something offensive if someone has a camera in your face. We talk to our employees about, you know, don't get sucked in. You, you're, just to be crystal clear, any place the public generally has access to, that's where people can videotape you.
0: And, and if, you, if you react harshly to somebody getting in your face, then all of a sudden that's all over the Internet.
1: And that's what they want. And you know, again, yeah. I'm doing air quotes, but what you want is something sensational. Yeah. Somebody screaming and yelling or reacting against. This, I think it's Karen and Craig are the names for men and women that no, stand up I for... i heard the Craig one. I think <laughs> it's Craig. I may be wrong. That, that stand up when they see some type of injustice happening in their eyes. And it, it's this fodder for, yeah. for Internet stuff. Um, don't get sucked into it. But yes, it has dramatically changed how we are. I think as human beings, we need to be better towards each other, and it's got to happen on an individual level. You know, there's a a lot of social justice awareness right now, culture, race, ethnicity, and I think it's a very important discussion to have about society. I think we need to have that equal amount of discussion on an individual basis and how I treat you and you treat me. I think that's where it really matters. Um, The larger discussion is part of it. But we've we've got to address the, the, the smaller discussion as well.
0: All right. Well, Hector, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This is great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Right. And that wraps up episode seventy-seven of EHS On Tap. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes at EHSDailyAdvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and I hope you join me next time.